L'chaim, everyone. Um, happy Hanukkah. To, so tonight we have Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a time of secrets of the Torah, as Hanukkah is, the miracle of Hanukkah is with oil, and oil represents the deepest secrets of the Torah, so we shouldn't be intimidated to go a little bit deep into the esoteric elements over here a little bit. Find some... Inner jewels and gems in this incredible, incredible, luminous time. It comes out in the darkest time of the year, longest nights, winter, cold, everything representing opposite of holiness, and yet it is the brightest time. The the holiday of lights, holiness and godliness is always compared to light, and but this is the holiday where the holiday itself is the holiday of lights. So it's like super, super holiday and a very, very bright time. And the brightness that we are waiting for is the brightness of the Geula, the brightness of Mashiach, which is going to be the time when the greatest light is going to illuminate. The world would be lit up with the light of Mashiach. A new light. You should make shine upon Zion, upon Zion. And that's the new light that we are waiting for. And that's connected to Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a holiday associated with the light of Mashiach. You know, in Tehillim, um, chapter 132, Kuflamit Beis, Shiram It says, There I will make sprout forth a keren, a crown, or a horn. Literally means a horn, but it means a crown. The David for David, that's the sprouting forth of Mashiach. I arranged a lamp for my Mashiach, for my anointed one. So here you have the connection of Hanukkah to Mashiach. We arrange lamps for my Mashiach. So through Hanukkah, we get, uh, we draw Mashiach, we connect to Mashiach, says the Holy Ma'ur Naim. Ubachol Shana Vishana Mara Naim is the great Rabnachal of Chernobyl. It says like this, Ubachol Shana Vishana Yeshma Polis Arashoyim. And in every year on Hanukkah, there is a great defeat of the wicked, of those that want to harm Israel and 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 that which is good in this world. Those who hate godliness. Acha Yipluvi is Batul the Gamri until they will have a complete and a total defeat. And Mashiach will come. He brings this verse. From the lamps of Hanukkah. That's the preparation. That's the arrangement. So we activate, we power Mashiach through lighting the lamps of the menorah. And it's, it's really messianic light. We know that one of the ideas of Hanukkah is to shine away the darkness. Hanukkah is not just light, as we spoke so many times. Hanukkah is a special light, such a potent light, that we light it precisely after dark, which means it has a unique power to engage the darkness. And when we say dark, we don't mean only physical darkness, we mean spiritual darkness. All the forces of concealment. Hanukkah is the it's the it's the only mitzvah we have with lamps 
in which we light it when it's dark. You see, Shabbos candles is also a mitzvah that we light with lamps, but the Shabbos candles are lit before Shabbos when it's still day. You're not allowed to light Shabbos candles once the sun sets. And the Hanukkah candles are lit after sunlight. Also in the temple, they lit the lamps of the menorah, which we know the Hanukkah is a remembrance for the light of the menorah. But the menorah lamps were lit again during the daytime. The menorah was not lit not lit during at, at night. You had to light the menorah before Shkia. After Shkia, which means after sunset, would be too late to light the menorah. It wouldn't be covered. So both the other two mitzvahs that have to do with lighting a lamp, which is the menorah and the base of English and Shabbos lamps, are lit during the daytime. Even though they continue burning into the night, but they're lit by day. But the Hanukkah has a unique power that we light it after night, which means it's, it's very, very creation is to come back to darkness. And even though there is darkness already, we acknowledge the fact that it's dark, we're not afraid of the darkness, and we illuminate the lamp, and the lamp overpowers the darkness. That's what's so powerful about Hanukkah. And um, in addition to that, um, it's also the mitzvah that we light it outdoors. Initially, the mitzvah was to light the menorah outdoors by the most outer um, doorway, which leads to the outdoors. In Israel, you have many places that still light it by the outside uh, gate le leading into the house. Not, not the house, even its out yard courtyard. And the exile Jews haven't done that, so they put it indoors. But, but primarily the mitzvah, as it was instituted, with, was to be outdoors. And many people are therefore lighted by the window, again, shining out onto the street. The Hanukkah menorah is meant to illuminate the street, illuminate the outside, place that's not holy, not the sanctuary. It's meant to go outside its light. In addition to that, we light it on the left side. If you light it by the doorway, the sage, the, you know, at the initial institution, it should be lit by the door. It should be listened, lit by the left, which the left also represents the unholy. The right side represents where godliness flows, and the left is the source of darkness and concealment. So we light it up in order to overpower the left, to overpower the outside, and to overpower the darkness. And Hanukkah has the unique power. So since Hanukkah is the light that illuminates and rids and, 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 and blows away all the clippers, literally shines away all the darkness, that's what Mashiach is. When Mashiach will come, there won't be any more darkness in the world. And that is the reason why Hanukkah is a Mashiach exercise. It even says in the holy book called B'nai Yisoschar. And he writes, when we learned the B'nai Yisoschar in a special class this year, I've been teaching the B'nai Yisoschar almost all the time. Tonight we're going to be using the B'nai Yisoschar quite a lot. He says, Hanukkah is called Hanukkah, which Hanukkah comes from the word Chinuch. Chinuch means education. So what does it mean education? So we know that until you're 13 years old, by a boy, and a, that's the bar mitzvah, and by a girl until they're 12 years old, they don't have an oblig obligation to do mitzvahs yet. And mitzvahs are obligated only when we reach maturity of an adulthood, which according to the Torah is 12 for a girl, for a female, and for a male, for a boy, it's 13. But what happens until then? What happens with little children, with the observance? So we know we, we do the mitzvahs anyways. And the reason is so that they should be used to it when they go older. You couldn't start certain these, uh, these very, very meticulous and very all-encompassing programs that have so many details, sub-details, and are so sometimes 
many ways very, very, very complicated to adhere to unless you get used to them. Not easy to take upon yourself to keep the mitzvot. There's so many, so many, so many do's and don'ts. You would just have to fall into it when you're 12 and 13. It would be very, very difficult for most people. So therefore, we begin this at very young. You train children in. If you get accustomed to it, so by the time it comes to their 12 and 13 years old, it becomes like second nature or it's natural to them to keep Torah mitzvahs. Which obviously is, is, is a quality and not a quality. It's a quality that we are used to it. It's easier. It's less of a struggle. And it's, it's easier to implement. It's a, not a quality in the fact that it sometimes becomes a little habitual. So we have to always, as we grow older, we have to re-excite ourselves. If Hanukkah can't just be, oh, it's Hanukkah again. Let's pull out the menorah. Hanukkah needs to be, you need to get new excitement on Hanukkah. You have to learn new Torah for Hanukkah. That's why it's so important to listen to this year. To get new inspiration, new light, things you've never heard about Hanukkah. Let's explore new ideas, new things, so that we get excited. First of all, you can re-hear the old things. That's also good, because we forgot already. And secondly, but the main thing is to refresh. You have to refresh. You can't just go by rote. That's very not healthy. That's not good. But on the other hand, we do practice with children the mitzvahs, so that they get, so it's not, you know, it's, 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 it's not every mitzvah and every element it has to be broken into when they're 12 or 13. It would be too much enormous responsibility. So you start when they're younger. So the Bnei says the reason why Hanukkah is called Hanukkah, because every Hanukkah we do the exercises for Mashiach. Because the light of Mashiach is going to be such a bright light that we need to exercise now our eyes to get used to such a light. So when we light the menorah and we look at those flames, you're exercising your, your eyes to be able to behold the brightness of Mashiach. For that itself, it was worth the entire class. You can go home. You don't have to listen to anything else I'm going to say today. Just think about that, that when you're lighting the menorah and you're looking at those lamps, that's an exercising your eyes. You're getting your eyes accustomed to the brightness of the light of Mashiach. You might not see it in the lamps. But, but that's what it is. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to know it. Just lighting the menorah and looking at those lamps are conditioning our eyes and our soul and our bodies to be able to hold the intense light of the Messianic era, which is right upon us. So, and that's why it's called Chinuch, literally. It's a Chinuch for Mashiach. Let's repeat that again. It's a Chinuch. It's an education for Mashiach. Hanukkah. It's education time for Mashiach. Mashiach practice. That's what Hanukkah is. It's awesome. That's why it's, he doesn't say it over here, but that's why it's number eight, because Mashiach energy, Messianic light is number eight, as we discussed so much in the early years. It's the transcendental light, higher than the seven, which is nature. This is really what it's all about. Um, I have arranged the Nair, which refers to Nair Hanukkah, the lights of Hanukkah, as a preparation for Mashiach. So let's get a little better understanding of that messianic light. How many lights do we light on Hanukkah? So on Hanukkah we light eight, we, it's eight days. We begin with one light the first night, and then we add a second night. The second night of Hanukkah we add another lamp, and so on and so forth, the third night, the fourth night. So it's one, and then two, and three, and four, and five, and six, and seven, and eight. This is all besides the shamas. There's also the shamas, which is the attendant that's like rises above them all. But um, in any case, we have uh, these are the lamps of Hanukkah. 
if you count those lamps all together, one, then one plus two, and then three, and then four. So you count one through eight, and each number you add to the, to the next number, because on the first night you lit one, that remains burning. Even though it might burn out in your house, it's an eternal lamp. So it remains burning. You light these lamps and they float up. They're burning. They're even down here too. We just don't see them after they extinguish, but they're still there. All the lamps that we've ever lit from Hanukkah are still brighting up the world. That's another thing to think about that we don't think about. All those Hanukkah lamps, they don't disappear. They're godly light. They don't disappear. They're eternal lights. In our vision, they disappear. Down here in time and space, in our perception, they're gone. But in any case, how many of these amazing godly lights do we create? It's altogether 36. 36 lamps of Hanukkah. Then there's the Shamas. I remember I said the Shamas is the one who lights them all. The ninth one. <laughs> On the menorah, the ninth one. So usually we say the Shamas is a very unimportant lamp. He's like just the attendant. He's there, there's the servant, because you need a lamp to light with. So you light with him. And also the reason you put a Shamas is because you're not going to benefit from the light of, of the menorah. So um, we put an extra candle there just in case you'll read something. It should be considered that your light is coming from the extra lamp and not from the menorah. So it's more of a technical lamp. Yet there is a pasuk that says, Srafim oimdim mimal loy. The minog, however, of most menorahs, the custom in most menorahs is either the shamas is off to the side, but even when it's off to the side, usually the shamas is standing higher than the other ones. A lot of people light, for instance, the menorahs with, with, with oil, because the best mitzvah is to light it, light it with olive oil. And for the shamas, they use a candle. Um, I, for instance, light with the candle, but then I have the shamas lit with oil as well. It just fits nicer in the menorah, but still it's above the other ones in my menorah. And many menorahs it's that way. And that's the way it's always been the custom. The shamas is above. Now he wouldn't be above if he doesn't belong above. But you got to say the, the shamas belongs above. So today I saw in a very special book called Kav HaYasha. Kav HaYasha was a great rabbi who was born in the 1600s, passed away in the year 1712. His name was Tzvi Hersh something. I forgot his last name. He was a great mystic, a great Makubal. Uh, his two six sisters were killed during the Chemelinetsky Kazakh uh, uprising. He escaped the whole long story with him. I don't know the whole story, but his book is fascinating. It's a Musser book, but it's a, a Musser book based on Kabbalistic ideas. Um, and he writes over there that you have to treat the shamas with a lot of respect, don't he? says he's very upset that people misuse the shamas. He says the terrible thing, they take the shamas and they go, they play cards with the shamas. And we'll soon see that the cards that people play, which is, uh, which people, a lot of people play on Hanukkah, is they're playing uh, kvitlach, it's called. And they're actually using, um, uh, what are these, what are they called, the cards? The main card game, what are they called, is the name for it? Whatever, the ace, the king, the queen, and so on and so forth. He says this is like the most hor horrific thing because you're taking the, 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 the shamans, which is really higher than the lamps. And a remez, he brings an amazing remez, a hint to this. I think he brings it even from an earlier, someone even before him. And this is hinted to, the shamans is hinted to, and the Pasuk says, Serafim oindim mimaloi. There's a Pasuk that says, that the fiery angels, Srafim, the fiery angels, them stand mimalo above the Shekhinah. So lo is referring to him. 
referring to the Shekhinah. And the seraphim, the angels that are standing above, simply it means they're attending to the Shekhinah. But he says the word law is 36. These are the 36 lamps. Seraphim, the burning angels, that's the shamas. The eight shamas is every day we have another one. They're the seraphim because they're the ones who make the fire on the other. And oimed, it stands mimal, it stands above even the other 36. So therefore we should never mistreat the shamas. He's very, very holy. How many cards are there in, in the card game, the ace game? 36. So really, that game is the antithesis to Hanukkah. Very unholy game. In many, many, many books, and in, and in many, many svarim, including the Kedusha Slevi and the Bnei Yisachar, and earlier, the Kava, him, the Kava Yashar, and other ones going back for a while say that in that card game, there are terrible, terrible forces of Klippa. And he says, don't, and that it's the worst thing. And he says, you can see it's a strange thing that Davka in Hanukkah, which is like the power of the 36 holy lamps, the Klippa came in and tried to bring this game, which they call Kartin. He calls it Kartin, cards, Kartin. And he says, the, the gematria of Kartin is Satan. The same gematria as Satan. It's the Satan making its way and it's like frightening. And he says, in the word Kartin, you have two letters of the word um, Sheker, which is lie, Kuf and Resh. So you don't have the Shin there, but you have Kuf and Resh. And then you have two letters of the word Satan, the Tes and the Nun. So it's the Sheker and the Satan together. <laughs> That's a, a very, very dangerous. It literally brings it with it. There are huge clippers connected to these they represent four main clippers, the king, the queen, the this, the that. And therefore, anybody that really wants to protect his soul, be keep away from it. It used to be a very, very, very popular thing that Jews would sit on Hanukkah and play cards. The initial Hanukkah game is dreidel, which is a very holy game. The card game is a clipper game. And in any case, I'm just going off into that because I mentioned that there are 36 lamps. But the shamas, it's 36 it's it's um, it's Srafim under Mimala. Anyways, 36 lamps. So now let's understand the root of these 36 lamps. Where do they come from? What's the significance? And why is it so holy and why is it so godly, these 36 lamps? So there is a sefer, the sefer Harokeach. The Rokeach was from the Rishonim. He lived in the 12, uh, in, the, in the 13th century. And the Rambam predicts, he lived a little bit after the Rambam. The Rambam, Maimonides, makes a prediction that after a certain amount of years, after the after, um after a certain amount of years, the prophecy will return to Israel. And the Rambam makes, exact, makes a whole calculation with Bilam, Bilam says, case, I'm not going to go into the prophecy, what the Rambam says, but in Egeris Ateman, in the book, in the letter that the Rambam wrote to the Yemenite Jews, the Rambam makes an interesting prediction that like 40 years after his passing, prophecy will return to the Jewish people. And so happened. In the days, in like around 30, 40 years later, a couple of great rabbis um, experienced divine illumination unlike a thousand years before that. Similar to the early sages of the Mishnah. 
and had enormous, they were very great Kabbalists, and primarily the Rokeach, Rabbi Yehuda Chassid, there's a few of them. And they they basically studied, they had revelation, they had they had some kind of a of the of Ruach HaKodesh was clearly upon them. They also had um, prophecy to a certain degree, as the Rambam says. They also um, um, learned and studied with Eliyahu Anavi. Eliyahu Anavi would come to them and reveal secrets of the Torah. So the Rokeach is a fascinating sefer. And it's interesting that he has fascinating ideas precisely on Hanukkah. Because what's Hanukkah? Hanukkah is the Yom Tif, which is supposed to be a divine illumination in the exile after prophecy is gone. Hanukkah is the one holiday that is not mentioned in the prophets. It's not part of scripture. You see, Purim is also a latter-day holiday. But Purim is still mentioned. It's one of the 24 books. The Megillah is one of the books. It's part of the Kizve HaKodesh, part of the, it's written down. It's a holy book. Hanukkah is not written. And the reason Hanukkah is not written down is because Hanukkah is not part, it came after Nevoah closed. The Medrash says an interesting thing, that as soon as the kingdom emperor of Greece, as soon as the Greek empire was established, the Greek empire is such a darkness, it represented such a force of, the, of, of concealment, the Greek philosophy and so on and so forth, on the divine, that it shut down prophecy. At the, you, you can learn two ways. Either because shut, because prophecy was shut down, that's why the Greek the Greeks had such power because there was all, there was an absence of divine communication, so they came. In. Or the opposite, because the Greeks came along. That's what it seems more like from the Medrash. It, it, it prophecy came to a conclusion. There was too much impurity in the world for prophecy to to to, to continue. It was extinguished. Yet the story of Hanukkah is that in the midst of this crushing darkness, in the midst of this incredible concealment, which we know that, you know, in the first Pasuk of the Torah, second Pasuk in the Torah, it's hinted to all four exiles. It says in the second Pasuk of the Torah, and the earth, tohu was tohu, obohu, v'choyshech home. It was that the world the world was desolate and 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 empty and darkness on the face of the deep waters. So the Midrash tells us, Tohu, that's referring to the the exile of Bavel, the Babylonian exile, that's Tohu. Bahu, that's the Persian exile, which came at the conclusion of the of the Babylonian edge. Choshech, darkness, that's Yavan. Yavan, the Greek empire, which is where it brings us into the story of Hanukkah. The Greek empire is Yavan, and the Greeks represented this state, this great spiritual darkness. Tahom, which are the deep, deep waters, refer to the forces of Edom, which are deep and seem to be endless. This endless klipa that seems never to end. And that's the last exile. So you see that Yavan is called darkness. And when Yavan came around, prophecy was no more, no more prophecy. But yet, what happened? Somehow, somehow, in the midst of this darkness, we had a great illumination, which is the miracle of Hanukkah. 
And that's why it's not, it's not written in the scripture. Because it's not meant to be in the era of scripture. It's not meant to be in the era when there was what scripture. Scripture is written by, by a communication from, the, from God. That's what, that's what it is. It's meant to be in a time where there's an absence of godliness. And yet, bang, there is light. But what's the light if it's not divine? It has to be. So that's the, the, that's the divine light that's buried somewhere and it was extracted during Hanukkah. So where, where is this light coming from? What is that light that suddenly was discovered? It's like that jug of oil that suddenly was discovered in the midst of the darkness. And you see, it was in a room where everything was desecrated. Everything was contaminated. They went into the room where the oils were and they saw that every single jug and jar was broken. The seals were all tampered with because the, 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 the Greeks touched everything on purpose to contaminate everything with their impurity. But this one was saved, which means in the midst of the contamination, in the midst of this darkness, there is this like burst of light. So it's a hidden light. Where is it coming from? What's the secret of this hidden light? The secret of this hidden light is that it's a brighter light than prophecy. It's much brighter than prophecy. What it is, is it's the original, original light that was shining on the first day of creation. Which the sages tell us that the light that was shining on the first day of creation, a person can see from one end of the world to the other end of the world. With that light, one has x-ray vision. You can see across, no, no blockages, from one end of the world to the other end of the world. And when we say from one end of the world and to the other end of the world, as explained in many discourses of Hasidus, it doesn't only mean the physical universe. It means from the highest end of the most sublime spiritual world to the lowest end, to the, to the, to the darkest point, to be able to see into the darkness, to find the divine in the darkness, and literally also to see past, past present, and future. That's the hidden light. The, not, the light of the first day of creation. So the Rokeach said that that initial light that was there in the first day, which is not the light of the sun. Not the light of the sun. This light of the sun came to replace that light because God saw that that light, the world was not worthy for that light because the wicked would misuse that light. Hashem saw the generation of the flood. That's what it says in the Midrash. Hashem saw beheld the generation of the flood. Hashem saw the generation of the dispersion, the flood of those who built the Babylonian tower. And God says, oh, no, no, I'm not going to let them have this light because this light won't make them be better. They're just going to use this light for their corruption. And they're going to use this incredible power for evil. That's how it shows you the power of it. If a person chooses to be evil, you can see this light and just and take that incredible resource that God has given this most enormous, incredible light where you can see everything and misuse it. That's the power of free choice. So God said he's going to hide that light. But before he hid it, he wanted to give the human being at least a little taste of it. Because if it was there only the first day, Adam wasn't even there the first day. He had to give man a taste of that light. So on Friday day, that light was shining. Adam Arishon experienced that light during the 12 day, 12 hours of Friday day. But then when Shabbos came, the light continued. 
throughout and Shabbos, the night is as bright as day. Because Shabbos is a holy day. So the 12 hours of Friday day, the 12 hours of Friday night, which is really Shabbos Eve, Saturday Eve, and then Shabbos day is another 12 hours. 12, 12, and 12, three times 12 is 36. So that light lasted for 36 hours. This world had the experience of that light for 36 hours. Because Adam sinned, Matzah Shabbos came, the light went away. It became really dark. We know that's why Adam got so frightened. And God showed him how to create fire. That's why we make a special uh, by Abdullah. We make the blessing on the fire. But it's very frightening. And Sunday morning, it wasn't a consolation because even when light came back, it was hardly a tiny little, 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 little nothing compared to the brightness. It was very, very dim light. It wasn't the real light. And Adam had limited vision compared to that vision that he had during those 36 hours. Now, what did God do with those with that light from the 36 hours? What did Hashem do with that light? He hid it. Where did he hide it? It says he hid it for the days of Mashiach. When Mashiach will come, that light will shine. Mashiach will be that light. In Mashiach's neshama will radiate this powerful light of the first day. And Mashiach will illuminate the world with that enormous light. But where is that light until Mashiach comes? Hashem hid it somewhere. Hashem hid it in the Torah. Hashem concealed this great, incredible light in the Torah. This light is much greater than prophecy. Prophecy is a limited illumination. This is an infinite light. Whether it's the light of Keser, it's the light of Chachma, it's a boundless light that was shining on the first day and Hashem hid it in the Torah. When did this light, when was this light extracted? Hanukkah. Hanukkah was the time when that miracle happened. Why? Hanukkah was during the end of the third exile. You see the Bnei Sashar, again, the, the Rokech says this idea, this concept that I mentioned to you earlier, that Hanukkah, the light of Hanukkah, the reason we light 36 lamps, he says, it's because in our Hanukkah menorah, we capture that 36, those 36, that light of the 36 hours. Every light, every menorah lamp that you light in your menorah, you're releasing another one of those hours. You're tapping, you're connecting to those, those primordial hours, those first hours of human, of human experience when we had brightness before we went blind. And in those lights, it has that, that, that illumination. But, but the Bnei Sashar adds that this light was hidden in the Torah. And he says... When is it going to be revealed? In the end of the fourth exile, when we're done, which is the completion of all exiles. That's when this light will roll out again. That's when this light will burst open for the whole world to see. However, when did it shine just for a short little glimpse in the end of the third exile, the end of Golos Yavon, which was the story of Hanukkah, in order to prepare us for the fourth exile? 
We needed to be able to see that light again. Just like Adam needed to experience that light once at the beginning of time, we needed an incredible dosage, especially since there was no more prophecy and there's no more divine communication. We, the Jewish people, needed something to warm our souls before the frigid winter. We needed one illumination, and we got it. And who were the ones who instituted Hanukkah? The sages, the Torah sages, because they're the ones who access this light. And they revealed that light. The 36 lamps of the menorah. Now, if you go into the book of writing the story of light, let's see, let's see if this really works. Let's see if this really works. Let's go to Beratius, right in the beginning. Let's find Hanukkah, right, in the first story over here. Benayi Sashkar actually finds Hanukkah in the first word, Beratius. We got it already. He finds it in Mamish, the first words, how the word Beratius is telling you the whole story of Hanukkah. That's a cool thing on its own. But for now, in the second Pasuk, we mentioned now that God hid the light where? He hid the light. Oh, so first of all, when did we say this light is going to be visible? When is this light going to come out for the entire world to experience? After the four exiles, when Mashiach will be here. That's that's hinted to in the second Pasuk. Va'aretz and the earth, that's the first exile, the Babylonian exile. Uvo, that is the Persian exile. Choyshech, that is the Yavan exile, the Greek exile. Tahom, that is the Edom exile, the current exile. And what happens immediately that? The spirit of God is hovering over the water. The Medrash says, this is the spirit of Melech HaMashiach. That means that after the four exiles, the spirit of Melech HaMashiach, and what happens then? What is the spirit of Melech HaMashiach going to have? God said, let there be light. That means as Mashiach will emerge, what will God say then? Let there be light. That's the light that's this Oyer Hagonos. It really has been this light has been around back then, but that's when this light is going to be available for everybody. Now, how many times does it mention Oyer in the first story of Beratius? In the first story of, of Beratius, it says like this, by the story of creating light. Yehi or let there be light. Vayehi or and there was light. Vayada lekim esa or kitov. God saw that the light is good. Third time light. Vayavda lekim beino or and Hashem separated between the light or beina choshech and the darkness. It's another time light. Vayikra lekim lo or yoyim. God called or yoyim. Hashem called light day. And that's it. After that, you don't have any more the word or. Five times or. So now, and the Medrash says, this is what the Medrash says, why five times or? Corresponding to the five books of the Torah. Because where is the or? The or is in the Torah. 
By who the Moisa Oira Zu Torah, it says. Or is Torah. Light is Torah. Five books, five lights. So it says the Bnei Yisachar. Let's take the word Oir, which Oir is Gematria 207. Resh Aleph Vav. Resh is 200. Aleph and Vav is another seven. So Oir is 207. If you take 207, if you take 207, and you make five times 207. How much is five times 207? 1,000. Five times 200 is 1,000. Five times seven is 35. 1,035, which in Hebrew is LF, Lamed Hay. LF is 1,000. Lamed Hay. Okay. 1,035. So that means. The light of this great light that what's talking about over here, which mentioned five times light, for some reason the gematria is a thousand thirty-five. Now the word a thousand is Aleph, which can also be Aleph. Because the Aleph is an Aleph. Same word. So when you take the Aleph and you add it to the 35, you have 36. So here you have the word Ele. Ele, these are. Ele Shemos Benegisro. Ele Divrei Habris. Ele, these are 36. Aleph Lamed Hey. Where is the five times he or where is that great light? It is in the 1035, which is really Aleph Lamed And if you're not so happy with the idea that we just switched a thousand to one, because you say, that's not cool. How'd you do that? Even though it's the same word, Aleph and Aleph, there's a Beferish possible. It says, Ve'echad mikam Aleph yirdofu. One will chase a thousand. That's a remez that echad, one, which is Aleph, can chase, which means can replace, can catch up and chase the thousand, which means can take over the thousand. So you can make the, the thousand into one. And the one adds to the 35, you have 36. So the 36 lamps of the menorah are literally this oyer haganos, this concealed light. So I'll take you back to the Sefer Kava Yosha that I saw today. And he writes that you should know, he says, that when you look at the menorah, he says, the candles are little prophets. Such beautiful words. He says the candles are literally the lamps of the menorah, the fires that are burning. Those who have clean eyes, he says, those who have clarity in their eyes, can see prophecy in those candles because it's Ayurnagunas. That's where you have the great light. Tzaddikim, as the Tzemach Tzedek says about the Balshemto. He says it about the Magid, the Mizritcha Magid, the two fathers of Hasidism, and then about his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe. He says that they had vision, they were able to see across the entire world in the same way you can see down the room. In the same way, they literally, with their physical eyes, saw across the entire world, so everything that was going on. And he says, from where? Because 
Kilahem, he says these words in Sefer HaKir that Zemach Tzedek says, Kilahem, to them it was revealed the hidden light of the Torah. Because God hid it in the Torah. This Oiragonos, and to them it was revealed. So they get to see it every time they open up. That's why many tzaddikim, when they wanted to see something, when people came to ask advice, they would open up a Chumash, they would open up a Zohar, and they would read, and immediately they can see, and they can tell you exactly what's going on. Because they access the light, because the light is hidden to the, in the Torah until Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, it will be revealed in the whole world. But until that time, the light is hidden in the Torah. And they were able to see across the entire world through that light, the 36 lamps of Hanukkah. Continues the Rokeach. Let's go back to the Rokeach. And he says, by the way, he says, Mashiach is going to merit that Ur Haganas, that great light. And Rabbeinu Bachaya also says the same thing in Bereshis. He says that in the days of Mashiach, Mashiach's light is the Ur Haganas, is the spectacular light. But the idea that this light was hidden in the Torah, the Rokeach adds in a fascinating thing. He says, if you look in the entire Torah, I think he means only the five books. I don't think he means the entire Tanakh. I think he means only the five books of the Torah. If you will look through the entire Torah, you will see that the word or light, in various different forms, or is mentioned 22 times in the entire Torah. There's 22 times the word oyer in the five books of Chumash. Not always in the word oyer, it could be laheir, whatever, but there is the word oyer five times, I mean 22 times. Three times there is the word mooros. Mooros means luminaries. So 22 plus three, is 25. And then he says, there's 11 times the word ne'er or something related to a ne'er. Ne'er, ne'er tamid, that talks about the menorah, ne'eros. So all together, or mo'oyros and ne'er, 36. So the 30, and this is all capturing. What is the real idea of this oil and this light? It's all capturing the oiragonos, this hidden light, this initial light that was there. And where did it appear? As we mentioned earlier, it appeared by the miracle of the menorah. Now, we said earlier that when Mashiach comes, Mashiach will illuminate this light. Why? Because in the days of Mashiach, it says in the Pasuk, it won't be any more to you. The sun will not be your light anymore. Let me tell you the exact Pasuk. Pasuk says, Lo yeh, it's a pasuk in Isaiah, in Yeshaya, Perak Samach. Lo yeh lecha oida shemesh laor yoimu. Then the sun will not be anymore your day, your light by day. Ule noiga hayoreach. Lo yoreloch. 
and for illumination, the moon will not shine for you. Who's going to be your light? Havaya is going to be your light. So what's this great, amazing Oyer Haganos? That was the light of the infinite. The light of Yudke Vavke. And that's going to shine when Mashiach comes. That's going to be when Hashem is going to take out the Ur Haganos and He's going to shine it for the entire world. Now we know that Yudke Vavke has various different gematrias. There's the, 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 the regular numeric value of the Yudke Vavke is 26. But we know that the Miloy of the Yudke Vavke when you fill the Yudke Vavke with, with, uh, with, uh, with its inside letters, so there are four Miluyim. We spoke about this many times. There are four fillings for Shem Havai. When I say fillings, we mean when we take the Yud and we write out the full Yud. Yud, which is really the Dalad there as well. The Dalad you don't see when you see a Yud, but it's hidden. Yud, Vav, Dalad, so forth. So according to the... Kabbalah, there are four possibilities to write the Yudke Vavke. One is called Shem Ayin Beis, which means the name of 72. That's when you fill all the letters with Yuds. The Vav, the He, I'm sorry, the two He's and the Vav are both filled with Yuds. You count it up, you'll get, um, you'll get 72. And there's another name of God called Shem Samach Gimel. That's when you fill the two He's with Yud's. But the Aleph, I'm sorry, but the Vav, you, you fill with an Aleph. Then you get 63. Then, if you fill the Vav, you leave empty. Nothing in the Vav. And the He's, you fill with He's. He's, another He, another He. Then you get 52. Shem Bad. When you fill them all with alephs, the hay has an aleph and the other hay has an aleph, and the vav has an aleph, you get 45. So now, let's take them all together. 72 plus 63. I put my calculator away, but 72 plus 63, I'll tell you now. 70. Uh, hold on, one over here. 72, don't tell me because I'm just going to tell you in a second. 72 plus 63 plus 52 plus 45 equals 232. That's what it is. 232. All the shame Havayas together. All four variations. That means everything is illuminated. Nothing hidden anymore. Everything will be completely manifest. The exact gematria of the word Yehi Or, let there be light. Yehi Or, let there be light. What is that? That's Havaya, the revelation of Yudke Vavke. Because Or is 207. Let's see if you. Or is 207, like we said earlier. Yehi is 25. Right? Yud. Hey, Yud's 25. 25 and 207. 232. So Yehi is 232. And since by Mashiach, what does it say by Mashiach? 
that Havaya will be your light. That's going to be a or We're going to have the illumination of Mashiach. Right now, we get them in our in our menorah, in our Hanukkah. We can extract that light. That's what we said earlier. The Bnei Yisrael says that on Hanukkah you got to you got to exercise yourself. You got to exercise your soul for Mashiach. It's the chinuch for 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 the Giyula. Now, there's another element that is 36. The idea that it is hidden in the Torah. Repinchis of Karitz, who was a great Hasidic master, a colleague of the Mizritcha Magid, a student of the Balshemtum, he brings and he says that the 36 lamps of the menorah are connected to these 32 hours, the 36 hours that we spoke about earlier. And it's also revealed, we said, where, where is it hidden? In the Torah. Or which part? In the 36 Meseches tractates. This is a very cool idea. How many tractates are there? So we know there are 60 tractates. Shishend are 60 Meseches in Mishnah. Torah Shavalpeh, the oral law, is made up of 60 tractates. However, 24 of them are only Mishnah. They don't have Talmud. 24 of these books are only Mishnah without any Talmud. 36 of them have Gemara. For instance, the first Seder is Zeroyim. At least in the, in the Babylonian Talmud. The Jerusalem Talmud has other Mesechtas that have Talmud for it. But our main Talmud, which we follow Halacha, is primarily the Babylonian Talmud. It's got 36 tractates. Those who study the seven-year cycle of Tafayomi go through 36 tractates. The 36 that's called Shas. If you really want to learn it completely, you should learn those that don't have the Mishnah as well. But there's 36 that have Gemara. For instance, Zrayim only has Gemara on the first Masechta, Brachos. Afterwards, Peya, Demai, Klayim, all these tractates, Chala, Truma, Orla, uh, uh, Shvius, uh, all these Masechtas, they don't have any Gemara. Also, the last tractate of Shas, which is Taharis, also only one Masechta has has Gemara on it, has Talmud on it. And that is Nida. All the rest of the Seder Taharis is only Mishnah, no Gemara. And in Kachim, there is a few of them that are without, without Gemara. Mesechtes Midas doesn't have Gemara and, and other. I think might be another one of them. So you see, so we only have 36 that has Gemara. So this hidden light is in is is so that the, the Rapinchus Karitza says that the, the 36 uh, um, um, lamps of the menorah correspond to the 36 Masechtas of Shah. But he doesn't give much explanation. The Bnei Yisachar is very excited about it, but there's not much explanation. Why Dafka the 36 now? The Bnei Yisachar gives an explanation. 
why it's Torah Shabbal Peh. Why is it? It's in other words, if we're talking about the light of Torah, was where did God hide the great light? Where did God hide it in the Chumash, or did heart, or did Hashem hide it in the in the Talmud in the Gemara? So He gives them a whole long explanation. Primarily, that the light of Hanukkah is the light of Torah Shabbal Peh. The 36 lamps of the of, of the Torah Shabbat Peh. That's why we said earlier, Hanak is, is nowhere in scripture. It's only in Torah Shabbat Peh. The Rebbe's father, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, also hops on to this idea that the 36 lamps of the menorah, in a, in a letter that he sends to his son, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, for his 36th birthday, and in that letter, the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's father is explaining to him, according to Kabbalah, how awesome the number 36 is. And now it's a very powerful number. And in the midst of that, he explains to them a whole explanation on Hanukkah. That Hanukkah is 36 lamps, corresponding to Torah Shabal Peh, to the oral. And he says, first of all, you'll find a fascinating thing. That Hanukkah is not only not mentioned in Chumash, it's not even mentioned in the Mishnah. You have no laws of Hanukkah in the Mishnah, and it's really astounding because the Mishnah was written 200 years after Hanukkah, or 180 years after Hanukkah, okay, 200 years after Hanukkah. So why wouldn't you have a Mesechta, Mesechta's Hanukkah, or at least one chapter talking about Hanukkah? You have Megillah, you have, you have Mesechta's, you have tractates talking about it. There is no Hanukkah. There is one place that Hanukkah is mentioned in the Mishnah. It's talking about Mesechta's Baba Kam. It's talking about a camel that's going down the street and the camel has a heavy load of wax on it and the person has a lamp in his store and the camel with his load, some of the some of the um, uh, 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 straws or flax or whatever it is, material that's on the camel, catches fire from the storekeeper's menorah that he put by the door. Is he responsible or is he not after responsible to pay for it or whatever? That's what the, that's what the Mishnah says. Ne'er Hanukkah, your potter, I think. Ne'er Hanukkah, the Mishnah says you don't have to pay because you had the permission to put your lamp out by the door. He should have been careful on Hanukkah to know it's not your fault. So he says, even though Hanukkah is mentioned, but it's not mentioned as a law of Hanukkah. It's mentioned as a law of civil law. It's a manigam regarding the laws of damages, but it's not mentioned anything about lighting the menorah. Why? Because he says Hanukkah is primarily the light. The light of Hanukkah is primarily the light of Torah Shabbat Peh. And he says, and the main Torah Shabbat Peh is not the Mishnah. The main Torah Shabbat Peh is the Gemara. But that's where you have the back and the forth and the clarification and the questions and the answers and the here and the there and the discussion until you come to clarity. That's why the Talmud tells us that you're not allowed to, if someone knows Mishnah, you can learn the entire Mishnah and you know it inside out, you can't issue a ruling from just Mishnah. You have to know the Talmud really well in order to, to issue a halachic verdict. Torah Peh, the oral law, it can only be decided through Talmud. And he says Hanukkah, that's the reason why Hanukkah is not found in the Mishnah. 
Because Hanukkah is the light of Torah Shabbat Peh. Torah Shabbat Peh is primarily in the Gemara, the 36 lamps of the Gemara, which, interesting, the Talmud Bavali, the Gemara refers to the Talmud Bavali as, as darkness. There's a Pasuk that says, In darkness you have seated me. You have placed me in darkness. That Talmud Bavli. That's the Talmud Bavli. Because the Talmud Bavli was already made during the time of exile when a great spiritual darkness came upon the Jewish people. Why? Because that's going back to the B'nai Yisachar. The whole power of is that even in the darkness we can access the light. Even in the Babylonian darkness. When it was after the temple and it was so dark. And they didn't have the great illumination. The Jerusalem Talmud had much more illumination because it was still close to, it was still, first of all, it's done in Jerusalem. It was close to the time. In other words, it's darkness, it's light that we have to create, not light that's coming from above. It's, it's, it's godly light that's embedded within the darkness that we can extract through our struggles. And we reveal it. And that light that's why we only have Hanukkah, he says, in the, is in the Talmud and not in the now. Yavan, as we said earlier, the Greeks, they are the antithesis to, to, to the miracle of Hanukkah. They are the antithesis to this great godly light. That's why they're darkness. And their main objective was they wanted to make us forget the Torah. That's what they wanted. They wanted the Jews to forget the Torah. Which Torah were they wanting us to forget? Scripture or the oral law? He says a very simple thing. They can't make us forget the oral law. I'm sorry, the scripture. Because scripture is written down. So even if they get no one, everybody stops learning it. Sure, we'll find some copy somewhere. They themselves were the ones who had it translated, the Greeks. So it's going to be somewhere. So we can always relearn it. What the Rebbe's father says. Their fight to make us forget the Torah could not be Torah Shabbat, the written Torah. Because even if they make a decree, no one can study Torah for 10 years, for 50 years, for 100 years. Eventually, you can go back and read it and, re, and relearn it. It's only the written, it's only the, the, the hidden Torah. It's only the Torah Shabbat. The Torah Shabbat Peh, which you're not supposed to write down. It's the oral law. That's what they were wanting to, us to forget. And they can make us forget it by stopping all these schools and all the yeshivas. And they were hunting down children that were learning Torah. So you can't pass on the tradition. They're going to stop it. That was Lashkichon Torah Seh. That's why he says an interesting thing. He says, Yavon, which is Greece, the Greeks, is Gematria 66. Yud Vav Nun. Nun is 50. Yud is 10 is 60. Plus Vav is 66. He says the idea of 66, it's the antithesis to Yaakov and to Yosef. Which is, by the way, the Parshios right now. The Parshios that we read on Hanukkah when we read about when Yavan when we're facing the battle against Yavon, which is 66, they're the antithesis to Yaakov and Yosef. As we know, a Kabbalistic idea, that Yaakov and Yosef are both the letter Vav. Yaakov and Yosef are both the letter Vav. We know when we say in Davening, I'll give you 
הקהל הגדול, הגיבור והנורא. הגדול means the great God. And that is corresponding to chesed, the kindness. Kindness is called great. And that's Avram Avinu, who's the energy of kindness, Abraham our father. Isaac, he's the power of gevura, of might, strength, and he's hagibor. Nora, the awesome one, the fearful one, the Nora, is Yaakov, the center. And what do we say? Hagadol, hagibor, vehanora. Vav is only added by Yaakov. Zohar says that the letter Vav is the letter of Yaakov. Why? Number one, the Zohar says Vav da ois emes. Vav is the letter of truth. Not to get into why that is, but the Vav is the letter of truth. Because truth is always in the middle. And the Vav is just a down... A energy coming straight down, straight from the yud, which is the point on the top, straight down, the center. Vav, vav is emes. Vav is also six, which represent all six emotions in which Yaakov, which represent the torso, the six emotions physiologically is the torso, which it entails the main body, the main body, which is the center, the goof, the two hands, and the two feet, and the assault, which is the reproductive element of the person. So that's six. Yaakov is the vav. Sorry, Teferis is the main part, the center. That's why since it, everything attaches to the center. That's why the main element of the vav, which is six, the center of it all, the chesed, the gevura, the whole, the netzach, the whole, the yesod, it's all plugged into the vav, to the feres, to Yaakov. So Yaakov is called the vav. But if you look in a vav, the vav has another vav in it. Vav. So what are the two vavs? Yaakov's energy flows into Yosef. Yaakov, Eilet told, last week's parasha, Eilet told those Yaakov, Yosef. The offspring of Yaakov is Yosef. And that's the Vav, Vav. The two Vavs. Because Yaakov and Yosef. And in the body, it's also that way. Yaakov is the torso. Yosef represents the bris, the, the, the male reproduction. And that's why he's the one who has the test with the wife of Potiphar, because that's his energy. It's the tzaddik yesod olam. He's the tzaddik of the, the, the power to bond, the power, which is really a sexual energy, but it's the power to unify heaven and earth, to unify God with the world. The ultimate attachment between Hashem and the world is through the letter of God. And, he, and the, the, the Zohar says, guf ubris cham, the body, which is Yaakov and Yosef are both one. Yaakov and Yosef. These are the two vavs. And that's the meaning of 66. Yaakov is the 60. And Yosef is the 6. And that's why when Yaakov goes down to Mitzrayim, the Pasuk says he went down with 66 souls. Yosef and his two sons were in Mitzrayim already. But Yaakov himself coming down was with 66. Because 66 represent these two powers of, of now. 
Yavan is 66 as well. So it's a force, the antithesis to the 66 of holiness. Now, what is Yaakov and Yosef's main occupation? Avram, we know, is kindness. Yitzchak, we know, is tefillah, prayer, service, avoda. And what is Yaakov? Yaakov is Torah. So we already see what's Yavan all about. They want to make you forget the Torah. Now Yaakov and Yosef, what did Yaakov do with Yosef? He taught Yosef Torah. That was his main relationship with him. He loved him so much. And Rashi said, everything he learned in, in shame and aver, Whatever Yaakov studied in shame and aver, he gave over to Yosef. That's what, that's what it says in the puzzle. Whatever he studied in shame and aver. What did Yaakov study in shame and aver? What was Yaakov's study in this yeshiva? Shame is the son of Noah. And, and, and aver is the grandson. And they had a yeshiva. What, what did they teach? Shame and aver is Torah Shabbat Peth is the oral Torah. It's the halachos of Torah. When Yaakov told, he told Yosef, he's giving him over all the laws of the Torah. Torah Shavopet. That's what he gave him. That's why Shem and Aver, together, if you take the gematria of Shem and Aver, together, you get the same gematria as the word bris. Bris is 612. Shem and Aver together is 612. Why? Because on Torah Shabal Peh, God made a covenant with us. Torah Shabal we didn't need a covenant. Um, for the scripture, we didn't need a covenant. We needed a covenant. We should never forget the Torah. We should study the Torah diligently. I made a covenant on Torah Shabbat Peh, on these words that God taught to Moshe orally and was passed over to Yaakov from Shem and Aver, which he passes to Yosef. So Yaakov and Yosef is that channel of Torah Shabbat Peh. Yovan is the antithesis to them. Yovan wants to, is, is the force against Yaakov and Yosef. That's why we read about it actually now in the story of Hanukkah. And that is the reason why the miracle of Hanukkah is connected to Torah Shabbat Peh, to the 36 Mesechtes of Gemara of Shas. Now Yaakov and Yosef being the two Vavs, we said earlier, Yaakov is the two Vav, 36, how do you get 36? Six times six is 36. So the 36 lamps of the menorah, it's all the power of Torah Shabbat Peh. And that's the reason why Hanukkah is this complete mitzvah of Torah Shabbat Peh. It's a, it's a very luminous yomtiv, a yomtiv of Torah, a yomtiv of coming from our, it's the enormous messianic light. It's an incredible Mashiach to the light. Of the Giyula.
And um, what we should do on Hanukkah is to cherish that light. The little, the, the, the six nights of Hanukkah that we have left, the six nights, I'm trying to think, hold on one second, if I wanted to share something else. There's a lot more, but forget it. Um, the, the six nights of Hanukkah that we have left, we should, oh, this is what I wanted to share with you. One more, one more idea, which relates to all of this. We were saying earlier that God hid, where did he hide the, the light? He hid it in the Torah. Now, what did the sages say? From where do we learn out that God hid the light? I mean, obviously he hid it because we don't see it. But where do the sages derive the idea that God hid the light? The Pasuk says, God saw the light was good. So Rashi says, and therefore he separated. Because if you saw it's good, why do you separate? So Rashi says, what's, what's the continuation? He saw it's good and he separated. So the simple meaning of the verses, he saw the light, Rashi gives a simple meaning. He saw the light is good. And according to the simple meaning, it's not referring to this initial light. It's referring to light, daylight. God saw it's good. And he didn't want it to be mixed with darkness because initially the light and the darkness were mixed together. So he separated 12 hours for day and 12 hours for night. This he called day and this he called night. That's the simple meaning. But Rashi gives another interpretation. When he says he separated, doesn't mean he separated between the light and the darkness like we have today. Vayavdel means he took the light and he set it aside. He set it aside for the time of Mashiach, for the tzaddikim, for the future. Hashem set that light up. Where do we learn it out? Because it says, Tov means it's good to hide. Tov lignites, it's good to hide. That's what the sages say. On the letter Tess, from the word Tov, again, if you go to the word Tov in the Torah, on the letter Tess of the word Tov, there are four crowns. Now, if you look in our Chumash, in our Sefer Torah, you won't see that. In our Sefer Torah, there is only three crowns. But the Rokeach says that there are four crowns. Now, there is, there is what's it called again, um, obviously, different, different traditions. Even in the Torah, there's different traditions. Not everything is exactly the same in every Torah. But it seems that there was a tradition like that to make four crowns because there actually says somewhere that there are a certain amount of letters. I forgot how many, 60 letters in the Torah in which there are four crowns on it. And in order to have 60, it's you have to have this test as well, four crowns. So you see that there's traditions for that. So the Rokeach says the four crowns on the letter test it's because Tess is nine. Four times nine is 36. Where was it hidden? The 36 lights. It was hidden. It was, it, it was hidden in Hanukkah. In the foot. And so these lights are tov. There's nothing as good as the Hanukkah lights. And there's nothing as luminous as the Hanukkah lights. 
And there's nothing as therapeutic and healing to the soul like these powerful lamps. So in the six days of Hanukkah that we have, six lamps, nights of Hanukkah left, gaze at those lamps, take it in, and let's hope that this light will just burst open on this Hanukkah for the entire world to see the enormous, boundless, hidden light of Mashiach Tzedkenu. May it be fully revealed now. Yeah.